Broadcast Network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Oh, AfterBuzz TV, the destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Was What's up, everybody? Ben Bateman welcoming you to the 30 for 30 Soul Man After Show. Very excited to be here, joined by Kevin John. <laughs> I'm really excited to be here, too. I'm really excited. Been always a pleasure to host alongside you. Absolutely, Kevin. And Steph Z. What's up, guys? It's so fun to be back. Uh, yeah. I love you guys both. I love yeah. this song, too. It is exciting to be back, guys. This was one of the better 30 for 30s I've watched in a while. I mean, really inspirational stuff. Um, so I do want to get right into it, but before I do, I just want to remind you guys, please subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, everything, your comments, your reviews kind of helps to keep going. <laughs> on Periscope, the AfterBuzz TV Periscope that I don't think exists yet, or if it does, I may lose my job here. Uh, but uh, <laughs> please, please, it, it definitely helps us keep going, and it's exciting for all of us. We will absolutely interact with you if you find us, so uh, so check in with us there. But let's get right into it, guys. First thoughts on uh, 30 for 30, Soul Man. You want me to go first? Are you still digesting your typically, conversation typically we had li- before the show? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're Let's not go back there. <laughs> Fans, who's a better quarterback, Kaepernick or Wilson? Go oh, ahead. So. You can tweet in if you like. Honestly, this, I think, was one of my favorite 30 for 30s I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, because you knew, uh, not you knew, I knew, I think a lot of us knew that this type of stuff was happening, but to the extent and all the history they give of, you know, the culture with the shoes and the sneaker deal, you know, I was fascinated to, like, I wish there was another hour and a half on this one just to keep watching. Well, you know, the the, the thing you have to realize is that, the, the you know, sports in general, sports in general, a lot of that is driven by money, okay? And the thing that this guy was able to mastermind in here was the fact that if you give players shoes, tennis shoes, or excuse me, basketball shoes, per se, the fact, first of all, that just goes to show just the amount of, what is that called? Um, Product, not product placement, but when somebody is uh, advertising your product. um, Endorsements. Endorsements. I wasn't looking for it. Okay, endorsement. We'll take that. But it just shows the magnitude that that has. Sponsorship? The, the impact that that has in in this. And I think more than anything, that's what I took out from this was just how, you know, um, was how endorsements play a role in so many different ways and and, and facets into this. Uh, but – Sorry, you want to go? I was going to say, I totally agree with you. And, and the, that actually, the component, the the sort of, uh, we'll call it like the money versus popularity paradigm, we can kind of get into later in a different, because uh, mm-hmm. I want to actually get into the film. But let's let's just, just start from the beginning. The thing okay. opens up. It's got a really, really great opener. The first chapter, Becoming Sunny. Uh, and that's just about Vaccaro just kind of becoming the man that he is. Um, you know, and they did the thing, which is pretty standard for documentaries, uh, where... It opens up with a great intro and a really commanding first two minutes. Clips of Chris Webber and Kobe Bryant and Shaq talking about this guy and how important he was and saying nice things about him. And, you know, the kind of your voiceover, your standard voiceover of this is what the story is about. You're hooked. 
And then it immediately does the thing where it switches. It's like, let's just tell you where it all began. Old footage of stuff that doesn't have to do with the basketball players you want to hear about. Which I was like, oh, man. That was a great intro. And now I'm... But they kept it really short. They got you sucked in and hooked. But the Becoming yeah. Sunny section was, was pretty quick. I mean, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't do the thing where it takes like 15 minutes of the documentary and you're just bored. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, I wasn't bored at all with this one. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I thought, I mean, in all the 30 for 30s, they do such a good job with the cinematography, with the edits, with the interviews, with the music. And I really love, slightly off the subject, but I really love the animations that they do yes. when they're describing certain situations. Yeah, yeah, it was good. And they break into animations to do it. I mean, everything is just beautifully done. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought from the get-go, you were instantly sucked in. They did a great job of, of using... I think that there's this thing in basketball with the modern generation, and it kind of goes without saying at this point, that the mm-hmm. three players that you really talk about between 1984 and the present are Kobe, Jordan, and M- or Kobe, jo- Kobe Jordan, and LeBron. Yeah. And that's not to say that they're the greatest players, because I think you can make arguments for, for Tim and Duncan. And marketable. Yeah, you can make other arguments. Boom. But in terms of the combination of greatness and marketability, it's those three guys. So for this movie to very quickly have those guys on the screen and you're like oh we're watching a movie about these guys you're as a basketball fan i'm just hooked because the legacy of those three guys all three of them i'm just fascinated by like most people i think yeah i I think the legacy and i also think the um not the competition but so many times you hear you know is kobe bigger than jordan is it just so to see them on a different scale being compared right was really interesting to me and you know like how kevin was saying earlier it you know, a lot of this, you know, before Sonny Vaccaro, Vaccaro, whatever, he, like, this didn't exist. Like, he created this game. Nike right. didn't go, let's give these shoes. You know what I mean? Like, they mm-hmm. didn't try and place their product to do this. Like, he created, that was the most fascinating thing, that he just, they believed him and it worked. Right, right, right. I think uh, the, the part about this era that, that fascinates me the most, and uh, there's a book by David Halberstam. Halberstam? Yeah, he's the Pulitzer mm-hmm. Prize winning writer. He wrote The Breaks of the Game, um, which is it's Bill Simmons, actually, his favorite basketball book, which is how I found out about it because it's obviously before my generation. But it's a book that talks largely about the late 70s Blazers, the uh, the Bill Walton and then the post-Bill Walton team. Mm-hmm. And it's, this, it's really in-depth. It's like two inches thick, and it's very well written. He just follows the team for a year. But the thing that's so fascinating about that book is because the era that it covers is this amazing tipping point of industry and and sort of notoriety for the NBA. Because the TV deals were really coming, they were becoming en vogue at that point. You were right. actually, you had all this money that was on the horizon. The advertising contracts and TV contracts were about to just jack the salaries so far up, which is all these kids that had drug problems and cocaine and overpaid kids out of, out of high school. Mm-hmm. So what I think is really fascinating about the the part of the movie that they're talking about here where he's saying he's paying coaches and he's giving shoes to those kids before Jordan, of course, is that everything is swelling. Money is just beginning to swell everywhere. And this is a guy that had the foresight to see, I can be in the middle of this, I can be in the middle of this, and obviously that wave crested with Jordan, which we'll get to in a minute, but... Um, I just think that that part of basketball where you had these old school minded coaches that didn't really want to let go of the, this old school game, the hardwood game that they grew up with, that really wasn't, I mean, Bill Russell was on the cover of magazines after he won his championships, right. the cover of Sports Illustrated, the cover of People, the cover of Tough Time, doesn't matter. He was on the cover of Time Magazine, but his impact compared to what the sport looked like after Jordan is not even in the same stratosphere. Bill Russell is one of the greatest champions ever, and he's not even in the same conversation in terms of fame for his era mm-hmm. that Jordan ended up being on a financial scale. That's the change that happened. 
So that was a rant. But I just that this era that they talk about is so fascinating to me because the game existed in such a different way. It was big, but not even close to the same way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that came with the you know the 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 magnitude of these endorsement deals and these international marketability campaigns. And you got to realize the NBA first really started becoming internationally known was in 92 which is why which actually kind of goes to why um they went and did the dream team which is another good 30 for 30 it's a good one but um part of the reason david stern at the time said he wanted to put nba players on the dream team is because he wanted the nba to become global and he wanted it to become on a global scale and have that effect across the world so that's why they put nba players in there to do that which as you see since the early 90s basketball internationally really blossomed, yeah. has right. just blossomed and yeah be prior to that you're right it was not as you know it wasn't as big yeah so um you know i i think that and then the fact that which i know we're going to get to with jordan just really helped to you know um you know magnify this right. uh this sport it definitely seems like the idea of identifying, okay, there's this, there's no structure here. And I'm this guy who was a school teacher at the time, he said Vaccaro, when yeah. he came up with these ideas and he was, he was holding these basketball camps. Um, to see that opportunity and say, like, there's no structure here, but these kids have incredible physical talents and this league is blowing up. It's getting bigger and bigger. There has to be a way to marry brand sponsorship with their talent. And then this league they're going to go to, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many other guys can you think of that are, are solely sort of responsible for building this from a grassroots level? No one like him. Yeah, he's and he had the mm. ear of the kids. And not only it worked to his benefit that there was no rules, because he was making the rules. As long as he wasn't doing stuff that made the kids feel uncomfortable, Nike feel uncomfortable in the beginning. He, like it, He got away with it because he created it and he made people believe that that's the way it should be. It sounds like people were uncomfortable though, but, but nobody but really no, knew how to handle right, it. Right, because mm-hmm. he was like, you might be uncomfortable, but no, this is what it should be. And he, he they believed him he and like, they kept going. Yeah, he like didn't know how to navigate the, they didn't know how to let, navigate this landscape that he had created for them. Yeah. Right. I think that's really fascinating. So so yeah. let's, let's move on to uh, the second part of this, the second chapter, which they call the Jordan Effect. Now, right. I've always said this, and I, I think it's kind of a commonality to acknowledge that you can sort of look at basketball really in two phases. You can look at pre-Jordan and post-Jordan. That's mm-hmm. that's really where it starts. Agreed. And you can look at it in a number of different ways from a uh, marketability standpoint, from a financial you know, uh, a profitability standpoint from even just discussing greatness and physical ability. The game just was played in a different way, really, in the Jordan era going forward. So... It's actually fascinating that they talk about he was the guy that they sold the contract to that made Nike what it was. Mm-hmm. But when you really think about what that means, Jordan wasn't just the greatest player of all time. He's the godfather of the sport. He's the godfather of the modern NBA on more levels than just the, the championship or the, or the record. He's center. the global ambassador he's for the, the NBA. Yeah, the he's, guy. I don't know about the god. Without Jordan, without Jordan and his impact on basketball, the game would look completely right, different. Right, but without Sonny I, and him making that impact possible, you know what I mean? Like, the Godfather's usually, in my mind, we think about the Mafia, the one that organizes sure. the deal. Jordan's like his son. I guess the, the Godfather the may have been the wrong term. But. Right, yeah, like that benefited from it. But yeah, I mean, he came through. If right. Jordan would have sucked, yeah. it, would, it, it could be completely different the way that the game works now. 100%. Yeah, no, you know, I, I was going to say as well, you know, you got to realize... Um, back to, you know, 
the NBA being put on a global scale, yeah, Jordan's popularity, I mean, to this day, I don't think there's any athlete that's really uh, surpassed or transcend, uh, transcended the popularity that Michael Jordan has been able to do. Right. I mean, yes, you have Tiger Woods, you have LeBron, you have uh, David Beckham, all these other internationally known athletes, but I, I, I think with Michael's campaign that um, Nike put behind him, you know, I, I don't know if we'll ever, ever see. And I mean, just think about this. Just think about Air Jordans, okay? Air Jordans to date, still the most popular athletic shoe of all time. The first Air Jordan came out 30 years ago in 1984, okay? It's a low retro, kind of looked like an Air Force One. And think 30 years later, still the most popular shoe of all time. So. And- Go ahead. No, I just wanted to add to what you're saying and then I'll let you go. And not that it's just a popular shoe. Like, people camp out for yeah, days yeah. to get the new shoe. Right. Yeah. It's not just that, oh, everybody kind of wants one. It's the in, you know, thing to buy. Yeah. They can't, like, it's ridiculous what it is that these people do to get a Jordan. Exactly. He made it essentially a culture phenomenon. You know, Jordans were an international culture phenomenon. And I, like I said, I just don't see that ever happening again with any other. I I don't even know, honestly, right now, which current basketball player has the hottest shoe out. But you can ask. It's probably still Jordan. But, uh, you know, think about it right now. Kobe sells more shoes than anyone. Katie sells the second most. Oh, Kevin Durant. And, yeah. and, okay. and what about LeBron's? I think he's right up there third, maybe. He's oh. probably somewhere up there. But, yeah. you know, the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, obviously, yeah, for now it's a debate. But, I mean, Jordan dominated that era. And he still continues to do so. So, I, I just saying, with all that, I'm just saying, like, the magnitude of him signing Jordan. Yeah. I mean, it, that revolutionized the way that we saw endorsements. The way that we saw profitability and just right. the way that it brought a um, a global awareness yeah. to the sport. I think it's really interesting when you when you talk about Jordan and his impact, right? And so Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell wrote the, the Tipping Point, right? And Tipping Point is a classic theory, or maybe Tipping Point's in one of his books. But it's a classic theory that he's talked about a lot, which is essentially this idea that as a culture... I, certain ideas can reach this tipping point where they've gained enough momentum and sort of plausibility. They're no longer... They're no longer really disputable uh, in most conversations. For instance, if you were to walk into a bar and say to every person in that bar, who is the greatest basketball player of all time? I can guarantee you 98% of those people would say Michael Jordan. It's just That's just the lay of the land. That's the way it is. And if you ever walk into you a bar— You would be the 2% that says Kareem. No, no. <laughs> if, 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 Honestly, I feel like if you did that in L.A. right now, people would say Kobe. Okay, people love Ooh. Kobe. And I, this, I'm yeah. not— that's actually. If you did it in Cleveland, point. they would say LeBron. Further yeah. is my point because this relates to this to this doc, which is that the three guys that they really use as the ammunition for the crux of the story, and we'll get to Kobe in a second. Is it's these three guys that at this point are infallibly great. That's what gives so much credibility to Sonny in the story is that he gets Jordan first, then Kobe. And then if not for somebody else's sort of bungled attempt, would have had LeBron. Almost had LeBron. He would have signed the three guys. And they all have reached the tipping point now because of a certain number of championships and statistics and that attitude where, like, in the way that Iverson was never able to achieve it, as great as he was, because people could dispute it. Barkley could never achieve it. Ewing could never achieve it. Malone. Malone. Even guys that win, like, a single championship, like, like... Paul Pierce winning one championship, for instance, you could still get into an argument with somebody that Paul Pierce is kind of a, sh- a 
not a bad basketball player, but people could really argue that he's not so good. If you think about it, though, just on a human level, take the basketball out, and this might be so left field, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you think about the guys you just named versus Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, they have a certain, for lack of a better word, swagger about them that you want to be them. Those three guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. You know, that's why I'm saying these other people you mentioned, even if, and Sonny could see that. Not only did he see basketball potential, I think he saw character potential because you have to have, you know what I mean? Like never. You have to have a complete package. Right. You're not going to make the Larry Bird shoe and him be like the cool guy. No, no disrespect to Larry Bird. Right. But you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. He needed that swagger, too. So he was able to see all of that. So it's almost like a step further than what a scout would see. He saw that, and that's how he picked his guys. Do you guys think it's interesting that the, there's the phrase, big men don't sell shoes? That's that's like the classic, the old the old adage. Like, Do you guys think it's interesting that like of the major shoes in the last 20 years, like big, like there's no shoe? I beg want. to differ. Shaq oh. had a shoe out um, his first few years in Orlando that actually did very well. He was with Reebok. But that's and 20 years ago. That did is the key that's word. That's literally 20 years ago. Oh, you mean, okay. I'm saying in today's, in today's market, the last, say, decade, when those, when, when really Kobe was in his, like, the, the prime of his, like, I am a global icon, can sell shoes, can win championships, when LeBron was really coming up as the best player in the world, there's not a, a, a an Al Jefferson shoe. There's no Dwight shoe that people are buying. They're, hey, if they make a Blake Griffin shoe, he's technically a big man. So does he I'm really sure, not have his shoe? He's got to have his shoe. Actually, he does have it, yeah. It's not, I don't think they would compare. But I mean, I honestly would beg to differ a little bit. I think to this day and age, when you do have high-flying big men or big men that are extremely versatile, yeah. like Dirk Nowinski, for example, who's towards the end of his career, or Blake Griffin, or... Um, Anthony Davis. You know, Anthony Davis. I believe because of the athleticism. That's what shells the shoe, is the athleticism of right. the player, the dynamicness of the player. Wow, that player did a 360 with those shoes on. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> Wow. That player did a 360. I got to have that shoe. Or he did this. I got to have that shoe. And obviously with big men back right. then, they weren't as athletic. So it's like you can't sell a shoe on a what, like a big, tall, like Bill Cartwright or, right. you know. But it's beyond that. The shoe just looks good on the player. There's women. There's people that don't know the game, but they know Michael Jordan and they saw the, like, tongue out picture and they right. wanted the shoe. Yeah. I mean, you say that as a sports fan, but people that weren't sports fans still wanted to be included in this movement. That's why I think it's so powerful. I love that he was signed at Tony Roma's, by the way. I, I, mean, that was I like, love that was like too. one of my favorite details. Was yeah. like we met him at Tony Roma's in Santa Monica. It's like first of all, that's not there anymore. I live in Santa Monica. Like if I was a professional basketball player in, in, in this stage, all the nice restaurants, <laughs> somebody was like. That'd be like the equivalent of somebody be like, "Hey, uh, can you can you meet me at Fuddruckers? I'd yeah. like to talk about okay, a multi million dollar shoe contract with you." <laughs> at that time, Jordan, first of all, had not even been drafted yet. Okay, he was still, I, I want to say, a junior at North Carolina. Yeah, or, but he had hit the biggest shot in North Carolina history already. So you got to realize the popularity of it was not as big back nowadays. If say, for example, that's equivalent to nowadays. Um, Freaking, uh, who was it? Who was a play, player of the year again this year? Um, well, you think like Jabari Parker last year before he got drafted? You think they, they would have yeah, taken him to yeah, Tony Romas? No, no, no. I'm saying <laughs> this day days. and age. This, this day and age because of the pop, the magnitude, popularity, profitability. Back then, it wasn't yeah. seen the same way it was now. Even though Michael Jordan hit a game when he shot, it wasn't like he was this internet, you know, nationwide celebrity that was all over the place. Like now, because of sports television deals and stuff like that. 
that you know you would have seen that a million and one times. So I'm just saying the popularity was different. 30 years ago, that's why he could have gone to a Tony Romas or something like that. Yeah, but even like a guy, like uh, somebody taking it, I'm not going to be able to quote this, but like, let's even just take an NBA player that's going to get taken in the middle of the second round this year. If, if like there was a a shoe company that was like, we see promise in this kid. They're not going to take him to Denny's. They're also not going to take him. You guys are saying two different things. Like yeah. You're saying they won't take him because they won't recognize him, and you're saying no, no, it's no, no. Cheap. This, this, this is what I'm. I, I understand what you're saying. You're right. <laughs> you guys are talking. You're right. Too. But I'm because this actually pertains to the thing. Basically, what I'm saying is that okay, back then with Jordan. That was the first of any kind. They didn't realize the potential right. that it would have to sign. Nowadays, oh, of course, they would not only take you to the nicest restaurant, they would fly you out there in a private jet. Right. They right. would put your family the up in a house. Is- they would, the schmooze factor, that's what I'm trying to say, the schmooze factor is 30 times greater this day and age than it was back in the Jordan era because they were still that whole new endorsement deal, all that stuff. That they didn't They didn't know the magnitude of what that would become now. So that's why nowadays, like with Reggie Bush, they bought his parents a house and all this other stuff right. to schmooze him. You know, so I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, I, 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 I'm not as shocked that they went to a Tony Romas back then. So it is. So then, okay. So moving on, it is really interesting that like the Jordan era is sort of in full force, and and Vaccaro is gone from Nike. So now he sets his sights on this kid Kobe, and like you said, he had the relationship to Joe Jellybean Bryant, to Kobe's dad. Yeah. So he gives him this phone call, and he says he hadn't heard from him in 20 years. He sees this opportunity, but he's talking to Kobe when Kobe's like 15. Kobe's like 15 years old. He's he's playing at Lower Marion. So, like you said, he has to go move to New York. So he's not in Philly, but he's close. Close mm-hmm. enough to go. Um, that, to me, is really fascinating. Because now you start to move into sort of the next chapter of the craziness of all this. I'm going to develop this 15-year-old kid for the next four years. 14-year-old kid, really. For the next four years of his life. Right. And then at the end of it, if he's still the person that I think he's capable of being, then I'm going to sign him to a multi-million dollar shoe deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he and, and he executed that perfectly. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. No. 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 no I, 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 go ahead. Yeah. The only thing I did want to touch on before we got too far was the fact of why we think he got fired from Nike. Was it his best friend George, who was his That's best man, that said that they think that they did they did Nike see this formula that Sonny created and be like, oh, we could do this without him? Were they? You know, what would have happened if? He would have stayed with Nike and got Kobe and got LeBron all in one umbrella. Why didn't they do that? Which Nike eventually ended up doing with the two right. Of them. Eventually, but, yeah. but there was you know we didn't get the clear details on right. that, which I thought was very interesting. Um, but, that is you know, no, that is really interesting. I mean, and then uh, it comes all around again in the end too, when his friend George wanted Ed O'Bannon to play at USC, right. and he wouldn't do that favor. Yeah. And it all comes back in the end that him and Ed will, you know, I don't right. want to jump ahead, but I think that's that a key tone yeah. in their relationship. Yeah, I mean, uh, it definitely one of the things that's really great about these thirty for thirty docs is that I, I generally speaking don't feel like they have a, I generally speaking don't feel like they don't have a very biased narrative. Their point of view is usually pretty objective, which is nice. Some documentaries are a little frustrating because it feels like the information they're presenting is is very much it, they are trying to manipulate the way you're yeah. going to feel about. There's the no agenda with these. Yeah, yeah, it's very, it's very non-biased. It's yeah, just not even not even like an agenda, but just not even like really barely a point of view, like barely. And that's great. Like for as as a viewer, it really feels like you're. It's a better way of reading a book almost. Yeah, right. you're getting to just like learn as much as you can. So as far as like. What we think has maybe actually happened in their relationship, it's kind of hearsay. I don't know enough about the subject outside of this doc to really speak on it. Um, but it is interesting that 
this is a guy that was worth a lot in terms of what he had created for Nike. So for them to part ways. Yeah. Well, it's hearsay and it's not. I mean, it was his best man and now they don't speak. Clearly something happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. you, we don't know the specifics of it, but that relationship clearly played a part in him not being there. And then the fact that he was then later hired for Nike. Right. I think it was really one of two things. I think, A, uh, he had ran his course at Nike. They saw what he was doing, and they felt that they could probably do this, ex- still execute the same thing. Also, B, you know, they said he was very unaccessible. He didn't really have an office. It was hard. And maybe they – and he, they, he even alluded to that. He said not everyone at Nike understood him. Right. He said, you know, they didn't re- they didn't know – understand the way he worked, the way he did things. And it's probably just a, a, a bunch of, well, you know, we don't understand him. We, we don't feel that comfortable working with him anymore. Right. Plus, we can do what he does anyway. So. Right. So Kobe gets to the NBA straight out of high school, and he has this, you know, he has this thing with Adidas. I thought about something when they were talking about the uh, Kobe straight out of high school and some of the other players that we know, some of the really notable guys from that era that went straight out. You know, Kevin Garnett, later they talk about Tracy McGrady. Yeah. You have later on you know, LeBron, Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, yeah. Um, yeah. Kwame Brown. Yeah, Josh Smith. I mean, like a lot, a lot of these guys. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of guys Moses that did it. Malone. Yeah, Moses an early one. But he was early, yeah. So when you look at the way the structure works now and – Sean Kemp? With the – yeah, the whole question of like yeah. – is the one year the one and done system is it antiquated because we all sort of know that in reality NCAA players should be able to receive some kind of compensation some kind which is a subject later in the doc but I mean that's sort of a popular opinion so like they have instituted this one and done policy because they for whatever reason they talk about it in the doc that it's they're not mature enough and they, they want to be older but don't you think some part of that has to do with the NCAA just being like, we need to have a year of eligibility for these kids so that their $10.8 billion contract that gets that's, that's with CBS every single year during March Madness is like a real thing instead of all the best stars just going straight to the NBA? Well, exactly. It all comes down to money. You know, first of all, you got to realize that. Um, you know, I don't believe it has anything to do with the maturation process for the, the athletes because you see plenty that have made the jump and it did just fine. Look, now, of course, seven guys declared from their yeah. teams. You're seven now, guys. But you got to understand that the question more now is this. What if you're a highly touted basketball player? If you're one of the top in the nation, you're guaranteed a first round draft pick or second round draft pick. What the, the question that we have to ask to these NCAA uh, basketball athletes is this. What is the incentive for staying in and playing four years. What is the incentive for staying? If there's absolutely no reason to stay, then why would you stay? I mean, we talked and about think- this. We talked about this on the Christian Leitner show. We, it's it's the same concept as like you're not going to ever have somebody stay four years again. Exactly. At this point, it's not, there's no reason why. The like, only the only reason is like take, to get your college degree or or a kid like Dame Lillard, where you're not a top prospect yeah. in the nation and you're playing at a smaller school and you want to get four years because you think you'll get noticed. Then in fact he did, and Dame Lillard ended up doing well enough to get taken in the top ten. And Stephen Curry had a similar kind of yeah. Story too. But even that, I mean, you got to also look at the statistics of how many players are on the top teams. Okay, you think about even, you know, the March Madness. You got 64 teams. Yeah. How many, all, all those players, how many get drafted? There's such a percentage. Small. You know, small. 2% small. So the fact that you're, like, I don't feel like all of them would just not, I mean, yes, there's, there's players that would skip the college process, but most of those other players need that time to get better to be good enough to play in the NBA. I, I, I do I do agree with you on that. The only thing is I unlike NFL or football, 
I don't think that you necessarily have to stay in a collegiate program for a period of time to develop talent and skill. I think that, and we've seen NBA players who are ready literally right out of high school. I think the competition, if that's what you're bringing up, the competition aspect on how, yeah, there's so many just in general athletes that come out of high school going to the uh, college if they all declared for the NBA draft then of course yeah they would not all get drafted because there's just that's too what many. I'm saying I feel like there's the, if they tried to do that the statistics of failure would be higher and they would realize that that's not like I don't think it'll ever be we don't have enough players to play our you know March Madness no, no, no. like well, it's not well, that's not gonna happen the thing is this and I think Ben hit it dead on the doorknob if they do not if 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 it, a rule did not come down or implemented where they would have to spend at least one year in college. Then, and this is what was actually happening with collegiate and NCAA, especially right after Kobe, when there was just that huge streak of high school players getting yeah. drafted. Like there, there were literally drafts for like the first eight players were all out of high school and stuff. And you saw it where college basketball was kind of dying for a little bit in between that. I wouldn't say dying, but. It just wasn't what it was, you know. Like around the time that like Iverson was at Georgetown. With like, Iverson like, was like at Georgetown. Nineties, yeah, right. yeah. Like post of that early two thousands, like like it just you know wasn't the same. If you think about oh the Duke era and the but early nineties, but it still 90s. didn't hurt the sport. I mean, you got to look at now March Madness, one billion dollar industry. It makes mm. more money than the the NFL postseason. Yeah, like it, even if that did slow it down for a minute, it still got to where it needs to go. But let me ask you a question: Do you think they would have gotten to that point it's had the indie. rule not been implemented i i think so Pro- yes probably not because I, I even so. stopped watching college basketball for a while because i'm like all the great players are going to be either a and the they're NBA. not the small percentage yeah small percentage so, and the kids are not going to not go to their college team game seats are still going to get sold yeah i, I feel you i i, I agree i want to get on to the next section which is uh, it's called there are victims here and this is a section that talks a little about Tracy McGrady, talks a little bit about the the era in the 90s when it was happening that these these players with potential would get tapped by a shoe company and then sort of used up if they weren't big successes or big stars. Um, I think it goes along with, I mean, there's a couple things I want to talk about here. I want to talk about Tracy McGrady. I want to talk about draft busts. And I want to talk about just sort of that era in general. So let's that, talk about it. So that era is often when people talk about like sort of, you know, the Jordan era. People don't usually call it the Kobe era. People usually call it the the sort of it's like this hybrid of like the Iverson Garnett Kobe era, and mm-hmm. it's more like a representation of like what style of basketball player was coming out at that time, which I think ties a lot into the sneaker culture. It was a me first player. It was a player that had grown up watching Michael Jordan, wanting to be Michael Jordan. They wanted to have a shoe. They wanted to take the last shot. That's all they wanted. Yeah. Uh, and the attitude is very clearly different than it was in sort of the Showtime Lakers era or what the attitude is a little bit more like now where your faces are Kevin Durant, LeBron James, and Steph Curry. Quieter guys. Guys who don't say things like, I wear cornrows to scare white people. Like, nobody in the NBA would ever say anything like that no. now. Did Alan Iverson say that? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's an Iverson line. I mean, that's just that's just the culture at the time. You know, Garnett was like the meanest looking guy on earth. He wanted to just intimidate people. Yeah. Nobody does that in the NBA now. I mean, the closest thing is like Westbrook, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you have... Who's that one guy? Anyways, go ahead. Yeah, but but my point is, so I, that's the first thing I want to look at is just that era of basketball that existed for about a decade there that ties into this shoe generation. This generation of there's a ton of money to be made. Give me a ton of money. I want to be the guy. Let me have a rap album. Let me have a sneaker. Right. You know what I mean? 
Hey, a Shaq did really good with his rap album. I enjoyed that. Oh, man. <laughs> all right? I, that was did. one of the best no, hip-hop albums of did. all time. But no, you're right. Let you me know, hear it. You did. Uh, I know I got skills, man. I know I got skills. I like playing on the west side. All right. So anyways. So, uh, but yeah, you're right. I do remember that. Every And I think, honestly, Shaq kind of started that. He was the first player to really make movies have an album like a lot of you remember Shaq did like four or five movies Blue Chips and all these other stuff yeah the two big and ones the two yeah Kazam Kazam and still Steel. doing commercials Steel. yeah so, I gotta have a Whopper you know <laughs> and, and I'm not trying to turn this into a Shaq but he was the first like ma- like larger than basketball personality off the court he was a media he was an entertainer and you saw other athletes like you said make rap albums Allen Iverson came out with an album Stephon Marbury came out with a, a rap album Jason Kidd even did a rap album so you have this era of players who kind of were emulating that Shaq kind right. of larger than life personality and media thing um, and I think a lot of it just comes out to money you know you realize and we saw this with Jordan. You realize when, as an NBA player, you are a global, recognizable face and icon. Why not make money off your own likeness? You know? Makes total sense. Yes and no. I don't agree 100% of that because you have to, if you're going to make money off your likeness, the people that we're talking about, you have to be good enough to walk the walk if you're going to talk to talk. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like that's where the part of their victims, like not everyone's going to be that good. You can give the same opportunity mm. to three different people. They might not all have the same results. Right. And so be, I don't a star know is going to be a star. Bad. Well, I mean, right. Steve Kerr never put out a rap album. Right. So. And a star is going to be a star anyway. Right. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily feel so bad for that. I mean, so let's, so let's look at that and go, okay. Um, one thing that I, I, a theme I hear a lot when you talk about the great players of that era is that Tracy McGrady is a guy, like when, when sports writers say, I've only seen five guys that could take that shot in my lifetime. Sometimes they'll talk about Tracy McGrady in that conversation. They'll, right. He gets talked about as if, given the right circumstances or maybe a slightly different approach or something, like he could have been that guy. Oh, easily. He was almost supposed to be that guy. He was always compared to Kobe. You know, he he was the superstar of the league. I mean, you have, it's like, you know, the other guys you can think of that were like around the same, maybe Grant Hills, another guy. But like, Vince Carter? Yeah, Vincent. I mean, but but T-Mac in this sort of different way. T-Mac in a way where he he really truly did have a few dominant years as like that guy that could just he was just the guy he led the league in scoring um and was it 2003 2004 he, yeah. he led the nba in scoring so he also has that one game what's that famous one where he hits when like he, he had 13 points in i i want to say like 30 seconds yeah. yeah and then he hit the game winner it was it was a sil- stupid just yeah awesome. but but that right there i think that particular player that moment really yeah. signified who Tracy McGrady could really be. Right. You know, he can be really that lethal. He could be a Kobe or any one of those. So it was unfortunate what ended up happening with him, but yeah. But what did end up happening with him? Really? He just kind of, he just was sort of an under, like kind of a lazy underperformer for a lot of his career. Not like he was like his absolute he just lazy. Sucks. He had a he lazy just, eye. He just, he just, but he just didn't have it. That thing that makes Kobe Kobe, like he almost had it. You know what I mean? He almost had it. Like in the way that like Brandon Roy had it. He had it. But Brandon Roy got injured. He did. You know, same thing with Grant Hill. He hadn't got injured. Anthony Hardaway. That's another great player from that era. Yeah. Right. But there's no specific thing that happened that took away his it. He just, maybe it was the wrong person to give the money to. You know, maybe it was the wrong person to think would do it. Sure, he sold a lot of shoes. Yeah, but you know, like I don't think there was anything wrong with it, or there's anything to feel. I mean, it's like you, you look at all the success stories. Of course, there's going to be a few people that they think and they're going right. to make this shoe and they're going to go through this whole process, and it's not going to work out. That's why I feel like they had to throw at least one of them in there. 
Yeah, and he and he's an interesting one. So, and yeah. I wouldn't even call T Mac really a bus per se. No, I mean, God, he's the first no. thing from a bus. He I mean, made like six, seven All Star appearances. He, you know, was an All Pro like two or three. I think with him, it was just that he he's like you said, he's somebody that could be mentioned if things went right. Would be mentioned amongst you know possibly the top ten, fifteen greats. Of all, right. uh, at least of that era, if not of his, you know, yeah. of all time, he probably really is mentioned as, as as a top fifteen grade of his era, just because he was pretty great. Oh, of his era, but, yeah. But I mean, in terms of the all that all time conversation, you know, you, you get some pretty heavy names. You have to start to like knock backwards if you want to get into that. But I'm saying he had the potential, yeah, big time to be. He he had the potential to be better than Kobe if to- he wanted to. Totally. So. uh before we just, I mean, I do want to touch on busts if we have a second, and there's a bit more we want to cover on this, but something I was thinking about while watching this was the, I mentioned this earlier, we'll call it the popularity versus bankability paradigm. So there's this shift that's happened in sports, right? As, t- as television contracts are worth kind of everything, mm-hmm. the amount of money that you can pay a player dictates where he's going to play. The amount of money you can pay an athlete in a given sport will often maybe not with football these days, dictate what sport they play. Yet, despite the fact that boxing is dead as a doornail in terms of just general popularity among sports fans, just, I could get, like, I'm a huge sports fan, and I know very little next to nothing about boxing. The fight we just witnessed, Floyd and Manny, which I don't want to go down I'm that sorry, road. I'm sorry, you said that, the, that, that was a fight? Yeah, the yeah. snooze fest. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't know it was a fight. Sorry. But, from a but technical- he got paid $160 million. Yeah, 180 that- and from a technical no, standpoint, I think it was 160, and it was the it was the same as Phil Mickerson and Tiger Woods got paid for their career tour this yeah. year. So I, I think I could be wrong, but I believe it was 160. Wow. It's a huge amount, Might have been an, an absolutely obscene amount of money. Right. What I think is really fascinating about that is that like that uh, that old way of doing things in boxing, the standard, the pay per view standard, exists and is still so successful so successful they're able to sell you know to to charge like it's it doesn't make any sense compared to something like basketball where like it totally does because you got one basketball baseball look at these sports every there's so much accessibility you exactly. can watch a game you can exactly. turn on the TV there's only what two days a year that there's not a sports event on TV yeah. sure so at any point in time you can see that we're, sport so we're overly saturated with yeah those there's so events. much saturation so therefore it decreases the value you gotta fight like that especially those two guys that they've been they're both kind of not I was going to say something I would have got crucified for. But they're both kind of, <laughs> om- I was going to say has-beens, but they're so not has-beens. But no. you know what I mean? Like, they're both kind of been around for a long time. Yeah. They're both, you know. Recognized as recognized, the greats. But, but recognize that they've been around for a long time, and they've never fought. So that's, of course, going to... It'd be like I, Steve Nash going one-on-one with Kevin Garnett in a special pay-per-view event this year. And people no, would be like, Steve people, Nash and Kevin Garnett? That's a that's a great matchup. <laughs> right, but, yeah, I mean, I... I'd I, rather I watch Jordan versus Magic in a pay-per-view. Yeah, at this point, right? Yeah, but I, I can understand why that exists like that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I totally I'm get it. I'm surprised we don't watch soccer on pay-per-view. Yeah, it is interesting. It is because it soccer is not for the same reason that we don't get, watch soccer. We're not as big soccer fans because there's no commercial time, so there's no money, so therefore it's not on our televisions oh as God, much. Are they going to start showing the NBA? Are they going to start showing the NFL playoffs and pay per view? That just occurred to me. They totally could no, do they it. won't. Like they the championship games that. and the Super Bowl, they could. Uh, yeah, I'm about to say if they, they went the Super Bowl on pay per view, it would just blow this fight out of the water. Yeah, it would blow it out the water. It would. But they would close. never do that. Why do you say that? Because that's. That's like saying we're going to put all the preliminary fights 
on regular television, but to see the main event, you have to pay. They want they want to reel you in, and the amount of money that they get for the Super Bowl, the contracts that they have with the stations. Do you think that the contracts for the next five, ten years aren't already made? Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's not the they, way those are billion dollar contracts. Well, so you yeah. make so you make the deal of, that you make the deal that ten years from now, every single home has to pay four ninety nine for the Super Bowl. Do you know how insane that would be? Four ninety nine. Everybody would do it. I do it in a heartbeat. For five dollars to watch the Super Bowl. Five dollars. I think people. I would just pissed. watch it on I mean, somebody's sure periscope would. for free. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I would do. Um, all right, so we'll, or we'll we, be at the Super Bowl. Holla. again. We are harping for a second, but uh, later in the doc, and because it's, it's related to the subject we're talking about, um, he talks about Brandon Jennings and this statement that he made, uh, Vicaro made about rather than playing the one and done system with the NCAA because you have to be 19, why not just go to Europe, get paid to play on a European team, go overseas, go overseas somewhere, and then come back in the NBA. Yeah. And Brandon Jennings did it, and he, you know, Jennings is not exactly a, a massive star. Superstar. He's, uh, he's still a guy that has some potential, but he blew out right. of Achilles, which is unfortunate. Um, but, I mean, what do we think about that attitude? What do we think? Is that a fair attitude? I think it's horse crap. Oh, really? Yeah. Because you're going to go... You're not going to use our system as it's designed. You're going to go somewhere else to get money and to get better, but then you're going to want to come back to what we've created here. You're not playing by the rules of the game. I don't think it's But fair. the I rules think- of the game are a fallacy. This the student athlete. Like we, we no, had- I don't agree. Yeah, I, I, I don't mean, agree I say this. You got to look at it like these, this. These athletes- these these universities. Sorry to cut you off. These universities are using the students for their athletic ability to make Half millions of, of dollars. Would never get out of their situation if it wasn't for these schools. You take any job, any job that you pay millions and millions of dollars. You look at these actors that make millions of dollars in films. You think they didn't work for free for a certain amount of time in order to get that job that would pay millions of dollars? It's like they're interns because after college they're going to get paid ridiculous contracts. They're paying their dues. That, I, That's I, actually I, a good point. I, I understand what you're saying, but they're not. Now wait, but time out. Let me finish. In that that kid isn't at that school anymore and you're selling his likeness afterwards, no way. He needs to get paid. And that's well, what the O'Bannon rule that, is about yeah. in, yeah, like, in the dock. But, uh, you know, we, Kevin and I on... No uh, job do you just jump in and make a... Without paying your dues. Tell me what job, especially in the entertainment industry, yeah. that you don't pay your dues, you don't work for free, you don't do things you don't want to do, every single one of them, and then you get that multi-million dollar contract. No, you're absolutely right. Tim Kardashian. Yeah. <laughs> so, so can't uh, wait to see your sex tape, Kevin. <laughs> on a different sports show that Kevin and I did, we had a longer conversation, and the the, the, pre, the question we supposed was, you know, should NCAA athletes be paid? And it's a long conversation that we really shouldn't get into here because right. it'll just take up the whole thing. But right. m- my sort of final suggestion in that conversation was because so many of the student athletes at all these schools playing all the different sports in the NCAA will never make money professionally because many of the sports don't even really have a professional infrastructure that these kids are playing in college, let alone the ones that do at smaller schools or the kids at bigger schools at the the end of the rotation who will never see the field. Like, I think if you're going to pay people in college, which I, I actually think is acceptable to do... It just do you think has, women should be paid in college then? Absolutely. Given the provision, this would be the provision. I think that there has to be some sort of uh, stipulation formula that the school comes up with that the NCAA would come up with, which is like, given given the gross revenue generated by the school, what portion of that is by that sport? And if that's the case, if it hits a certain amount and a certain number of teams within that sport hits that mark, we can think about we can think about compensating students on some level, and that could be in the form of like an annuity that's made in your name as a student that you yeah, only have you access to at the end about, of school. You got to like a lot of people when I have this conversation with people don't and I, I'm all for athletes getting paid. Trust me, yeah. like just put that out. Like there. college but athletes getting paid. I, 
any athlete. Well, I don't know. College athletes, I think that exactly what I said. If it's if someone buys a Steph Z jersey, I should get paid. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's me. But you can't just get paid to play. You're getting a scholarship. You're not paying for your field. You're not paying for your uniforms. You're not paying for your coach. You're not paying for your rep. You're not paying for any so of So the stuff. value is high. You know what I mean? And yeah. besides that, you're, you now have this opportunity to be seen to go to this other level. But Steph, one thing you gotta that, realize though is this. That has though. value. One thing you gotta realize is this though. Do you know how much USC just do you know I, how much I, millions their and millions program, and millions and millions of dollars? Okay. I understand. Okay, okay. It so, changes the entire system if NCAA athletes. It get absolutely paid. does, and we're we cannot get into this conversation because yeah. yeah. no. it'll just spiral. But it's yeah. a great conversation, and yeah. and, yes. and please, you know, if you guys are watching this and you have thoughts, tweet at us about yeah. your thoughts because it's a fascinating conversation that I have a lot of thoughts on. I know you these guys do yeah. as well. We should have a show just about that. Yeah, we definitely should. I agree. Um, so the last the last chapter in this doc is the LeBron affair, and LeBron has been talked about in our culture nowadays ad nauseum. So I don't know how much we need to like just talk about like the LeBron as LeBron is, but in terms of where he was at his career. Uh, coming out of Akron and the possibility of signing with Nike versus Adidas. How much how much credibility, plausibility did you guys feel there was to, to Vaccaro's claim that uh, they would have gotten LeBron had they put the right amount of money on the table? Uh, given his track record, I 100% agree with him. I agree given too. his track record, uh, the things that he's been able to to, to master and manipulate yeah. and, 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 and orchestrate, I there's no doubt in my mind he would have had LeBron had the contract stated what he had told him. And it would have changed the entire outcome now because if Adidas would have had Kobe, Kobe. and LeBron, yeah. It was Nike had Jordan, then Adidas had Kobe which switched to Nike, then LeBron, but you know, like it so. was the trifecta. Now they have the monopoly. But now well, but you are seeing some things change. You are seeing some things change. Steph Curry, MVP, Under Armour. It's their first shoe, but doesn't for whatever. Even, doesn't even compare to Kevin Durant has an Under Armour uh, endorsement yeah, too. But, and, yeah, and Under Armour is coming up, but you know, you ask any mom yeah. out there who's never watched the basketball game, she's not going to know those names. She's not going to know Steve Curry. She's not going to know the Splash Brothers. She's going to know LeBron James. She's going to know Kobe, and she's going to know Michael Jordan. Well, yeah, okay. So, yeah, the all-time scale, it would take a lot for Under Armour to really come through. I mean, and, yeah. you, know, you know, Derek Rose is with Reebok. Like, you have, you have like, a couple. Or, I'm sorry. Wait, he's, he's with Adidas. He's with yeah. Adidas, I apologize. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Damian Lillard's with Adidas. Which is crazy, because Adidas, yeah. if you think back in the day, Adidas with their snap-off pants, like, yeah. they had it for a while. Adidas D-Wade. was associated with basketball. Yeah. Yeah. D-Wade then, is with Converse. Um, who who else? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a couple Blake guys. Griffin, who is he yeah. with? I know he has to have a yeah. Sony, but the thing—I mean, you know—not to cut you off, but yeah, the thing is, like, I feel like not—it doesn't just—it's not just what we think, yeah, because we're the minority in the people that study sports. You know, we live, sleep, breathe sports. Yeah, when you have something like this, it's what's the household name to the person that doesn't watch, yeah. research the game, and that's the winner. That's totally—that's totally true, and that, and that comes down to markability. But you also got to remember—I mean, the the, the talk of. How much more of a sure thing prospect coming out of high school was LeBron in 2003 than T Mac when T Mac came out? Realistically, how much more of it? Like LeBron was like super hyped, 
Blake Griffin, I believe, has Nikes. Uh, one of our producers. Oh, he's with the Jordan brand. Yeah, so is, that, so, is, so is Westbrook. That's right. A lot of people are with Jordan brand, even in other sports. I know people are so with that Jordan. Means they brand. can't even hold their own brand. That is Jordan's right. Making money yeah. off that. Shit. I forgot but, about. The, yeah, anyway. the Jordan brand is the other yeah. huge brand. So, so, oh. but how much? So, the difference there when when Adidas is looking at that pitch and they say we have this amount of money that we're willing to offer. We, you know, and they they knew roughly like kind of what Nike was probably going to offer. They usually, you know, generally speaking, the the uh, prediction is pretty is pretty close, especially because Vicaro had gone on record and say you're going to make a hundred million dollars. Do you think that it was because of what had happened in the there are victims here section of the story in the '90s with these contracts that they chose not to put all their cards on the table, or do you think it was that they maybe were a little skeptical of LeBron? Now looking back. Obviously, it's an enormous slam dunk. I mean, it, you would have taken Russell Wilson with the first overall pick if you really knew Russell Wilson was going to be Russell Wilson. But hindsight's twenty twenty, so I, I would have taken Russell Wilson. Yeah, let's just keep. Moving. I would have taken Russell Westbrook with the oh, first overall pick. Sure. I think that it was just a mistake. I think that you need to risk big to win big, and Sonny had done nothing but prove, regardless of the ins and outs, regardless of people thought it was sketchy or not. He knew a player when he saw one, and for him to say this is the new guy. Yeah, and they didn't trust him. They messed up. That's mm-hmm. how I. F- one thing they didn't talk about in the doc, though, and this is this is like one of those this is like one of those opinion things. Um, I wonder how many guys Sonny kind of vouched for over the years, maybe on a smaller level, that didn't turn out. I wonder. There's no way that his track record is like just perfect, and he had like you know three. That's like three of his biggest. You know, Kobe, Kobe. T Mac. I mean, there was a lot of guys that talk about it. I don't him. know because you got to think about it. Like, look what he did for Kobe. He up and moved to New York to go. Like, he was there for it four was years. Projects. Yeah. I don't think he was worrying and, and spending his time on the little stuff. And I think if there was a big guy that was a bust, we would have heard about it. Maybe. I mean, yeah, they might have talked about it. In the I understand what you're saying. There's a possibility yeah. that maybe there was somebody they didn't document in this that he went after and didn't pan out. I mean, it, it just but wouldn't the surprise fact me. that they were bad, not bad mouthing him, but they showed the flip side of the situations, I feel like they would have shown that and been like, that's why Adidas didn't back him and give him the money that he said LeBron was worth. I feel like they would have given us that reason. That's fair. That's fair. So the final section in this documentary is something uh, with with O'Bannon, and I believe the the title of it was Sonny, Ed, and the NBA. Holy expletive deleted. What did I create? And, uh, that sort of looks back at this whole entire project, and he's he's in this lawsuit with with O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon, um, who in the movie is shown as a car salesman, which is kind of uh, startling to see. A fall from grace, you know. And he talks about the NCAA making money off his likeness with a video game. It was kind of unnecessary to me, to be honest. That salesman thing. Yeah, it was a little bit. They could have told the story. They could have done it. They, I agree. I feel like it was it a little necessary. bit of a slap in the like face. Like heavy handed a little bit. Yeah, it was just like it was. Look what he's I, doing now. It's the only thing that I was like, really, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, he, they could have just because that wasn't the point. The point, you know, we got, it was clear yeah. that you know his story didn't turn out as these others. But to make this actually go back to again the ex best best man best yeah. friend and that this same kid was the kid that right. he called, it would have been I think more powerful not to put that in. Yeah, I mean, and, and they talk about um, the one thing about this that I the, at the end where I was a little bit like they show the things like they won and you know in his favor and all that. Kevin and I both looked at each other when we were watching. We we're like, really? Because like 
if they really won anything that mattered, like if this was really some subject that was overturned, like we would have heard left, right, and center about this. Yeah, this would be you, a big you would have seen deal. huge change. And it was immediately, uh, you know, appealed. They said right. it may be seen by the Supreme Court, and and, and that's the, that's one of those documentary point of view things where you're like, you maybe do need a positive note to end the documentary on. So maybe you're. Uh, selling this one thing as as being a little more relevant than it possibly is. Right. I don't know. Uh, it, it is a big deal to get a, a favorable ruling. On- and basically, the ruling uh, stated that college colleges are able to pay their athletes if no. they wanted to. Well, but the bigger win, I mean, let's not forget that Activision forked over, what, $42 million or something? I think something? it was EA Sports, but yeah. EA, EA Sports, Sports yeah. that's right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was a win, and it was... It, to me, made legit, again, you know, to how I kind of feel, which is afterwards, if they're, if they're there and they're reaping benefits of the school, of being affiliated with the school, fine. But afterwards, if you make a basketball video game of these guys that aren't yeah. on the team anymore, hello. I think college, right? It's a UCLA game. Cause, cause he was on the, cause he was on the national championship team with UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, that's just not okay. He's gotta get paid for that. Agreed. And that's, and I, the wording in the ruling in the doc was that they, NCAA, the NCAA teams are able to compensate their students. And then it says in the wording, like, you know, travel, more travel accommodations and, and things. Let's all be real. If these kids, these kids are getting paid one way or another. Right. Exactly. But I, the <laughs> their wording. parents again, houses bought, like, exactly. stuff's happening. The word, There's stuff happening under the table. The wording that sound like, it sounded like in the doc was that they are able to. Not that they are required to. Just that they are able to. Right. Which is, you know, one of those sort of hearsay rulings. But anyway, um, that, that was the wrap of the film. I, my final thought was I thought it was a really, really interesting 30 for 30. Yeah. Uh, I was I was pretty fascinated. You know, I I have to say the thing I found most interesting about it was actually just sneaker culture. And if a thing had just been called sneaker culture and it hadn't been about Sonny, I'm thinking it would have been worse. I don't know how much worse for me, though. Like, I, I feel like I learned something about, like, a character, somebody who really matters in the history of... Uh, in the history of basketball and sneaker culture, but I'm also just sort of like the thing that I was sort of most fascinated about was just sneaker culture in the 80s and 90s and 2000s in basketball. Right, but it wouldn't have been that way without him. No, no I'm not saying obviously if you'd done yeah. that doc, you would have talked about Sonny. I'm just saying instead of like Sonny Vaccaro's story as opposed to like the sneaker story, and then he's a part of that story, it sort right. of felt like it was his story and the sneaker thing was like what makes him relevant. But it's like the sneaker thing is what's relevant. That's what I care about. I care about the stories of their shoes and the contracts they're signing and when and the culture and the time. Uh, not not really saying it's a bad thing. I thought it was a great doc. I just yeah. was sort of thinking about it in terms of like, think about like in a movie, a character that doesn't, didn't necessarily need to be there. Mm-hmm. Or you could have told it from a different character's point of view, perhaps. You're like, oh, I thought he made it. I loved, I loved the fact that he, these, these athletes, he was, you know, he tied it together. These athletes, there would have been no Michael Jordan, even with the sneaker culture. The fact that this guy, and then Nike believed him, and then the fact that the Kobe, you know, I feel like he played a key role in, you know, but the don't glue you guys, of it. But don't you guys feel like, don't you guys feel like you could have been called, like, knighted, the Phil Knight story or something? A completely different point of view. Not it would have been better. I'm just saying you could have literally told it from a different point of view, being like, well, we signed Jordan in 84, and then after a few years with Adidas, we were able to get Kobe Bryant the next superstar. And then, despite the fact that Adidas and Sonny Vaccaro made an appealing offer, we got LeBron James. Like, I'm not saying it would have been better. I'm just saying the yeah. story is the big athletes and their shoe brand. Yeah. That's the story to me. Like, Sonny Vaccaro is an important part of the story, but I found most interesting sneaker culture and sneaker history. That was the thing that was most interesting. That's just, just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, 
I can see where you're coming from. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree for this one, but across the board in all sports, a sneaker culture movie I think would be super fascinating or yeah. 30 for 30. But as far as basketball and the way that it's branded and marketed, because it's not really like that in any other sport. Like yeah. we don't have these. Yeah, we do now have, you know, a few cleat deals in soccer, but we don't have what we have in the basketball culture yeah. with sneakers in, in really any other sport the same way. Like you don't have a Tom Brady cleat. You know, I would I would buy it if it I was, know you would, just but, but we don't have it, you know. So I feel like the fact hey, that there are Randy Moss cleats I got, right? But you know, it's it's not on the same scale yeah, at all. Yeah, and he created this scale, so yeah, it is it is super fascinating. Yeah. So that about wraps it up. Sweet. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ben Bateman. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. Kevin John, where can the people find you? I'm Kevin John. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at HeyKevinJohn or at HeyKevinJohn. You can't do a dot com on Twitter. <laughs> Someone's tired. You would be able to find me on Periscope, but I haven't quite set up a He's profile. We'll be, back in, we'll be back in two weeks. Check then. Yeah. Hello, Periscope. You guys can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Periscope at I A M S T E F Z. Keep this conversation going. Yeah, please hit us up, guys. Once again, iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud. Twitter, hit us up, subscribe, rate us, give us five stars or four, but not less than four, please, unless you really hated it, but tweet me first. Um, and uh, we had a great time talking to you guys, so check back in. We'll do another one of these in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, take care. Thanks for watching. From executive producers Maria Manunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 